Well, thank you so much for being here this weekend. It's been kind of a, for me and maybe for you, a really anticipated weekend as we're going to talk about vision. Uh, We're going to talk about what God has been doing in our church, what he's continuing to do, and then talk about how we can join him for the future. And as excited as I am about what God is doing in our church and as excited as I am about this service, and I got to tell you this weekend, one of the things I'm the most excited about is last night, Karen and I celebrated 28 years of marriage. And so, yeah, so... So... We celebrated with about 500 of our closest friends last night as we worshiped together and as we, we talked together. And, uh, you know, 28 years ago, uh, Karen had no clue uh, that she was marrying a pastor. And that's a good thing, probably. And you know what? You know, I never desired and dreamed to be a pastor. She never desired and dreamed to, uh, to be a pastor's wife. But, you know, what? one thing that we've done, 28 years of ministry is... To the very best of our ability, we've just obediently followed him. We're different. We were different when we got married, and we're still different today. Uh, You know, Karen's from the north. She's from uh, Niagara Falls, New York. I'm from the south. I'm from Texas, so that makes me a redneck, and that would, you know, in Texas language, that would make her a Yankee. And so there were some things going on there, and so she's from the north. I'm from the south. Um, Karen loves to exercise. I hate to exercise. Karen dreams about exercising, vacations to exercise. I dream about the day when I wouldn't have to exercise. I mean, I like fried food. She likes tofu. Uh, I like, you know, I like cheeseburgers. She likes veggie burgers. And so we're just, we're just different. I was raised in a family that was just very, very tight. I mean, we, we called it being wise with our money and frugal. But we were just, at, fact is, my granddad reused baggies. I mean, yeah, so, so he would use a baggie, you know, for his lunch. He'd go home at night. He'd wash them out, turn them inside out, reuse them. And, I mean, we never were allowed to use paper towels because that's wasteful. They're expensive. That's what a cloth, you know, towel is for. And so the uh, fact is we were, just, we were just tight. I grew up believing, you know, the ice cream truck, you know, that comes by. I grew up believing that when the ice cream man is playing music, he's out of ice cream. I mean, I... <laughs> I'm in my teenage years, and I'm still wondering, why didn't that guy ever get some ice cream? What is up with that? Karen uh, was raised Catholic. And when we went to church, you see, I don't have much of a church background growing up. It may surprise you, and it may be like many of you, and that Karen was, was raised Catholic in the north, and, and, but even though I was in the Bible Belt, and even though I was in the south, that not much of a, of a church background. fact is, I grew up in a family that believed church was an event. Church was something that you attended. Church was not a community that you came into and that you belonged to and that you deepened in relationships and commitments. See, I was raised in a family that wanted to have a church that they said that they could belong to that was their church. For instance, we moved a lot. My dad worked for Exxon, so every five years we're moving to a different oil field or something like that. And the first thing that we would do is we'd we'd find a church. Now, we never went back. See, I was raised in a family that believed that church was a community, uh, was, was an event, not a community. And church was a place that you just tried to figure out how is the minimal amount of involvement or attendance you can have and still get into heaven? I can only remember 
five, six times ever going to my church. When we did go to church, it was a Baptist church in our community. I never remembered a mom and dad. They were involved in a church, committed to a church. Because I was raised with this belief. It was a false belief, just like the ice cream truck guy. I was raised with another false belief. That church is an event. Church is a product. Church is something that you're not a part of. And it's not a community that you belong to. It's a church that you just go to the minimal amount of time so that you get in heaven because that's all it's about. To where when I was reached my teenage years and parents were concerned about my salvation and some of the other things, uh, they, they would occasionally drop me off at a, at a youth group of a church in our area. And I still remember when the pastor came into the youth group, and I remember the message. I remember accepting Christ. A few weeks later, I was baptized. I was baptized on July the 4th, 1976, when I was 16 years old. And I I hate to tell you, but I didn't return to church till 1981. Because church is an event. Church is not a community that you're a part of. Church is not a community that you belong to. It, it, it's, it's a mechanism so that you feel better about yourself. It's a mechanism that you believe gives you security and heaven. 1981, I was out of the house in college, and my life crashed and burned, and I crashed and burned. And, and I stepped into a church for the very first time. And it was a church that did not believe the church is an event. They believed it was a community. And that church radically changed my life. To where I learned that I developed this false belief about what a church is. Karen and I, we were married in 1983. And, and uh, that year, two churches. And we, I was sending out no resumes. I was happy in the engineering profession. And two churches asked, offered me a job as an, uh, as an associate pastor and. I didn't want to be a pastor. And I ran from God and I turned it down. And then in 1995, well, actually in the early 90s in Beattlestock, Poland, I was doing a mission trip. And, and I told God, I said, you know what, if you ever call me again, I'm yours. It was really in Beattlestock, Poland that I committed to Pueblo, Colorado without ever knowing this was in God's plan for my life. See, that's faith. Faith is this. Trusting God is this. Is we say yes to him before we even know where. That we say yes to him before we even know what he's called us to do. That's obedience and that's faith. In 1995, there were plans to plant a church in Pueblo, Colorado. And I came as part of a church planting team, Karen and our family, and three other families, the Dodge, the Smiths, and the Raddens. And we came and we planted a different type of, of church. Then in 1998, I was invited to L.A., to a prayer and fasting event. 500 leaders, religious leaders across the U.S. were invited. It was by invitation only. And I went to L.A. and, set, and we were in a convention center there in L.A. And, or a hotel ballroom. And, and we prayed and fasted. Bill Bright, Adrian Rogers, and a bunch of guys were there. They led the thing. And God gave me a verse in 1998 that I've never really talked about publicly that is in my journey. And 
I'm in a hotel room and we're praying and fasting and I read Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And Jesus makes this promise. And Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I, I still have the Bible that I had with me in the, in the room. And, and uh, I turned this last week to the fly leaf in the back because I didn't have any paper with me. And, and uh, that was for droids and everything else. And so I just didn't have paper. And so I, I opened up the back to the fly leaf and I wrote out that verse. And, and, and I just started noticing some things in that verse. And so it says that Jesus says, I will build my church. That phrase, my church, that's, that's possessive. It is his church. It's not, a, it's not a person's church. It's not a group's church. But from what Jesus says, he says, I will build my church. It's personal. It's possessive. It's his church when we understand that. And then he goes on and says, I will build my church. In other words, I am the one that expands it. I am the one that grows it. In other words, in, my, in the flyleaf of my Bible, I just started writing things like Jesus has promised to build his church physically, structurally, financially, numerically, spiritually, that he is the one that builds the church, and it's his church. It's a promise that he makes. And then he goes on and he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see... When we came here in 1995 to plant a church, I was met with discouragement, frustration, lack of faith in the Christian community. When you ask people, when we came to Pueblo, Colorado, and you ask people, how you doing in your church? They'd say things like, we're just hanging on. We hope we don't split. We hope this power struggle doesn't win, and we're just going through all kinds of problems. And we would start talking about Scripture and talk about what we believe God wanted to do. And they would say, God, we know you're excited, but we just need to calm you down. This is Pueblo. You ever heard that, right? You're with me, right? Charlie, this is Pueblo. All of our churches are small. All of our churches are inward. All of our churches are declining or plateaued. Charlie, this is Pueblo. Do you realize that is an accusation about, against God? That his word is true in Colorado Springs. His word is true in Denver. His word is true all over the world. But it cannot be done in Pueblo, Colorado. Because this is Pueblo. And so people with that mindset, they'll take this verse, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus says, wait a minute, it's me that builds the church. Oh, and guess what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And they say, oh, so that means, well, we're, that means we live life in defensive mode. See, gates in the Bible was an entrance into a city. It was not an offensive weapon. I mean, any of you guys ever been attacked by a gate? I mean, any of you guys ever seen a gate running down the street beating people half to death? Anybody ever say we're going to go to war and we do not need guns and we do not need aircraft and battleships and cannons and all that other stuff? Because we got some of the biggest gates known to man. We will destroy you. See, it's not offensive. What Jesus was trying to communicate is this. I will build my church. And you, as a people group, should trust me and be so passionate that you will push against the gates of hell and that you're the one that are pushing back the kingdom of darkness and the gates of hell. 
whether it's in your community, whether it's all over the world, because of your faith. Why? Because I promised you this. I promised you that I will build whose church? My church. And I will build it physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially. And I will provide for my church. Listen, let me tell you something. I have very little church background. Yeah, I got seminary, but I got very little church background. All I know to do. See, I had to change my perspective of church in 1981. And all I know to do is to be willing just to open up his word, read it, apply it to my life, and apply it to our church and preach and teach it. There's only one thing keeping us from doing that. There's only one thing keeping you from doing that. And that is this. That is courage. Just to live life different. To just open up his word and let his word speak and organize and develop your life in a church in accordance to what he's written in his word. You see, teaching God's word has never been a profession for me. I left a profession for this. Teaching his word has been a calling. It's been so personal to me. It's a covenant that I have with God that I will faithfully preach and teach and lead in accordance to his word. And God has been so faithful to this church over these years. Do you realize in the history of our church, We have baptized and counting 1,100 people in the last year. In the last year, we have baptized 65 people alone. Do you realize on any given weekend, we have an average of 13 to 1,400 people that are on this campus every weekend? Some of you, that may be shock to you. You may say, well, wait a minute. I didn't know we were that big. Yeah, because we have three different services. Church growth people, the church growth experts tell you that healthy church growth is about 5 to 7% a year that you can assimilate into a body and you can effectively assimilate into a church. Do you realize last year we grew by 26%? That means we added to this church, this body, over 200 people in a year. We got more people life journaling. We got more people reading his word. We got more people serving. We got more people coming into ministry. We are worshiping at a different level of passion and abandonment for him. Man, let me tell you something. We are not at this point begging God to do something. He is doing something in this body. We are coming to this point to figure out how we're going to continue to trust him and follow him and be faithful to what he is doing. Too much is given. Much is required. And God has given this body and this church much in the years that we have have been here. And so we got this short term and we have a, a long-term problem. We, we have been in overflow services. Well, we're in overflow services every weekend this weekend. We were in overflow f- services in the early service, and we're in overflow services now. We got people watching this on video and in other places because not everybody could get in here this morning. 
So we got a little bit of a, a short-term crisis, right? I mean, what are we going to do with all these people? And how are we going to answer that? And how will people of faith trust God and continue to walk in faith? And then we got a long-term problem. So let me address some of the logistics. And then this week and next week, we're going to unpack. If you have your Bibles, droids, your iPhone, your Kindle, your, your Nook, whatever you use, whatever media you use to read Scripture, Joshua chapter 3 is where we're going to be in the next few weeks. But let me just talk to you about some of the logistics. So address the, the short-term problem. Your leadership has decided that we're going to add a fourth service. And so we'll be doing, starting February the 5th, Super Bowl Sunday. So, uh, yeah, so you can rem- you, like you'll remember that, right? And, you know, we may do some advertising, like come help us kick off a new service. You know, then you can go home and watch the Cowboys play. That, uh. <laughs> no, you know what? I don't even have that much faith. <laughs> <I'm> t- <laughs> And so February the 5th, and let me, let me tell you something. Let, let, just so we understand each other and we get everything out on the table, this is not about a fourth service. It's deeper than that. This is about what happens when God transforms a community. What happens when God transforms a church? What would happen when everybody understood that, guess what, church is not an event. Church is not something that you go to. and you, Church is more than that. Church is a community. Church is where you serve. Church is where you love one another. Church is where you get involved with each other. It's not this event that you attend. It's a community that you belong to. But we've got to address the short-term issue. The short-term issue is this. We are running overflow services every weekend. And we've got an ad at the fourth service to meet the demand. And so let me tell you when that is. That's going to be Sundays at 1230. That may be a different time to you, and that may be a time that you would have not guessed if we had given you the opportunity to guess. But your leadership has has met, and we've talked about this. Logistically, it makes the most sense for us. Uh, And you know what? The same thing that we did when we added the Saturday night service, those of you that were with us, I'm going to ask for about 200 of you to move from your service of choice and say, you know what? I'll be a missionary. I'll free up seats in these other services so more people can come to know Christ, so other people have seats and they don't have to sit, our guest and first time and all that other stuff, they don't have to sit in another room. But I will be the one. I will free up seats. And I'll just kind of reverse my Sunday afternoons deal. I'll, I'll, I'll go eat lunch. I'll go to a nice brunch. I'll go to a nice breakfast, whatever you want to do. I'll sleep late. I'll sleep really late. Whatever. <laughs> if you're college, that may work out for you guys. And... Uh, and, and then I'll come at church at, at 1230. And that's only addressing, that is only addressing our, our, short-term, our short-term issue. And then we have, we have long-term issues as well. But here's the deal. Here's what Scripture says in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then Joshua, the leader, rose up early. That means he got up, he prayed, he sought God, he met with leaders rose up early in the morning, and they, unity, they set out together. Whether it's personal or whether it's church, it starts with a decision to move to a better place. Whether to change a church, to transform a church, to transform church culture, or in your personal life, you have to come to a place to where you decide, you know what? I'm moving to a better place. 
I'm making some changes in my life. I'm making some changes in my, my, my devotion. It's, it's not so much sometimes that we're in a bad place. We're just not in the best place. You know where the best place is? Wherever God is. Listen, let me tell you something. You cannot follow God and stay where you are. It's impossible. See, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of people that just want to get to the point to where we're just comfortable. And we can just figure out everything. We just get where it's just comfortable, and all of a sudden we're just this, 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 this machine. And, but God wants us to be a place to where we live life so radically and so on the edge that we trust him with our tomorrow. The children of Israel, God had been preparing them to cross the River Jordan for 40 years. All the grumblers and the complainers and, and people that were divisive within the body, they'd all, they'd all gone away. And God says, you know what? I'm calling you now to cross your barrier, to cross the Jordan River into your promised land, a place that is best for you, a place where there's blessings. You see, he made that promise to, to Abraham that all of your descendants will be blessed and and you find that Joshua, their leader, was so passionate about this. When he got up in front of everybody, they knew that he was going with them or without them. Because he knew God had called them to move to a better place. Oh, there's a problem, though. The king of Jericho is in the land, is in the promised land. The king of Jericho was a fierce adversary. He was brutal, he was mean, he was difficult, he was tough. See, see, Satan never gives up ground easy in any community. I've wondered a lot, why were there giants in the land? It's a promised land. It's a place where God had led them. Why wouldn't God just take them out ahead of time? What's, what's up with the thing about giants, king of Jericho in, in, in the land? And the answer is this. Giants in your promised land, giants in the promised land, ensure that only people of faith will inherit the promised land. Only people of faith will inherit the blessing, the joy, the peace that comes with following him at this level, and that's why Jesus made the promise and says, I will. I will build my church. And so the short-term issue is this. We have to make a decision to move to a better place and to continue to follow him and continue to trust him. That we don't get comfortable and we don't pull back. That we stay radically following him as we have since we have been here and we have continued to do these last years. So the short-term issue is this. We're going to add a fourth service starting February the 5th, Super Bowl Sunday, 1230. Um, we got some other issues, just short-term. Let me run through those. Uh, Christmas Eve service, b- based upon on our numbers and what God is doing, we really would need to do five or six services on Christmas Eve. Now, that's just insane, right? I mean, we'd have to start out at like 9 in the morning and go to 10 o'clock at night, and we'd just like live here and just keep running. And so we feel like we can't do that. So we've come up with a, a solution. Because if, 
if everybody would, would filter out into the proper services, we would probably be okay. Last year, we had 650 ser- people show up at, at the 3 o'clock service when we had 432 seats. That was insane. I mean, some of you that showed up, you were so gracious and nice, and you said, you know what, we'll go shop some more, uh, we'll go eat, we'll go do something, and then we'll come back at a later service. But that, was just, that is just not a great first-time impression for those that are visiting for the first time. So we come up with a solution. We're going to ask you to pray really, really hard and go to the right service. (laughs) And just in case you don't, (laughs) here's what we're going to ask you to do. It's going to be different, but you know what? These are fun problems to have, right? I mean, listen, the Acts 2 church, they never caught up with the growth, and neither should we. They never, listen, they never were able to catch up with what God was doing. And they were continually talking like we're talking, saying, what are we going to do with all these people that the Lord added to our number today? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do four services. You guys are going to filter out exactly evenly of all four services. (laughs) And you're going to do that by praying and getting a ticket. You're going to need, it's going to be a ticketed event. Now listen, the tickets are free. Uh, so don't, don't worry. I um, mean, you know, now someone starts, you know, scalping tickets, you call us. We want to know, <laughs> but the tickets are free. And I know there's some people that could push back and say, you mean I need a ticket to go to a church service? Yeah, you do. <laughs> what a great problem to have that we got so many people wanting to come in the doors that we have to help them to go to the proper services so that we can serve them and so that we can minister to them. We are not in defensive mode where we are huddled up like men is in a bucket waiting for the big hand to come through and stick us on the hook. We're following a holy and a righteous God. He said, I'll build my church. And you trust me. So you are banging against the gates of hell. And you are pushing back the kingdom of darkness in your community. Easter Sunday. Last Easter Sunday, uh, we, we did two services at Memorial Hall. Memorial Hall seats 1,700. And we've really outgrown Memorial Hall. Uh, because we'll just have to do multiple services. And not only that, Memorial Hall is not available. So guess what we've done? Easter Sunday, we have rented out the State Fair Event Center. And so, yeah, and so... So... So it seats 8,000 total. And so, uh, so we think we can, we can get everybody in there. And we're going we're gonna to make it a community-wide event. And you know what? We haven't been together... In one service, uh, Pastor Steve remembered the date, but 10 years it's been since we've been in one service all together. And Easter Sunday is going to be a celebration, but it's also going to be a huge picture for you because you're going to realize how big we really are. You know, you're also going to realize that, wow, I got some crazy brothers and sisters in Christ that go to this church that I had no clue they went to this church. And you're going to look around, and I mean, it's, and so that's, that's coming Easter Sunday. But we have got to get ready. I believe with all my heart, this is our Jordan River experience. Every church has to decide at some point if they're people of faith. Are we going to pull back? Are we going to shrink in? 
are we going to take a step in faith so God's hand and blessing is still on our, hand, on our church and on our lives? Every ministry right now is not staffed to the level that it needs to be. We're going to need 50% more children's uh, ministers in the children area. We need more people to work in our youth. We need more life group leaders. Do you realize that sometimes we have problems people need in a life group and they have no one to lead that life group? We've got people that get baptized and want to be discipled, and, and we're, we're short on that. Um, worship team, we need more people that are willing to serve and, and worship ministry. And, and uh, you know, there's just, just a barrier sometimes that we have with that ministry. As some of you look up here and you see the, the, the quality that they do every weekend, and it's my fear that some of you think I could never do that. And so here's what I'd invite you. There is a process. Why don't you let them make that decision? Why don't you let them come alongside of you? You, 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 you seek out the call first whether it's the worship ministry, whether it's the children's ministry, whether it's the, 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 the student ministry. Uh, God is deepening this church like never before. So how are we going to address the long-term solution? Now, I wish I could stand before you and say, this is how God's going to do it, and, but I've just committed to you to, to lead ministry and to lead life here with great transparency and honesty. And I'm standing before you and telling you, we don't know. It's God's job. We don't have to know. Because he says, I'll build my church. But we have to be people of faith that walk in faith. Easter, we prayed and we fasted as a church. We prayed all the way through the phone book this last Easter. And then then on, on the night before Easter, we, we gathered around in Memorial Hall and got a group of people that wanted to pray with us. And every seat was touched. Every seat was prayed for. We prayed for all the services. And we got up on the platform and we worshiped together. And it was just this huge moment in my life. And a lady that doesn't want her name revealed walked up to me and and handed me this card that has lived with me ever since Easter. And she said, you know, Charlie, I don't want to be presumptuous and, and speak into your life and say, uh, God told me to tell you this. But she says, I can tell you this. When I was life journaling, I, I read this verse, and, and God just impressed upon me that it's for you. Now, Thessalonians teaches us that we test every spirit. We hold on to what is good. And, and uh, so she says, you know what? Would you just take this? Would you just commit to pray through this? And so I said, sure. And I, I read at that time, and it didn't mean a lot to me. And then, then after a period of time, and the reason it's so frayed is because it's, it's been in my pocket just to remember and just meditate on. And, and then all of a sudden, this verse came to life the last few weeks. And so you know what I'm going to ask? I'm going to ask that we would pray this verse as a church. It's Judges 11.24b. Let me just read it to you. Here's what it says. So whatever um, the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess it. Boy, we have, as pastors, we have stepped out on land. We have walked land. We have prayed for land. We have looked at land. And just not any land will work for this church. Because of the traffic congestion, we're going to park five to 700 cars. 
people in Pueblo with a, with a little bit of different mindset of church says, oh, well, you probably need three acres of land. No, we probably will need 10 to 15 acres of land depending on how much of the land is usable. For whatever reason, I don't have an answer. And God has not revealed that to me. And I would never, ever stand before you without a word from him. But I do believe this with all of my heart. That God is impressed upon me and says, Charlie, you move in faith. You lead, you move in faith, and you leave that up to me because I will build my church. Don't stress over it. Don't worry about it. I will build my church. I mean, remember when he told Moses? Remember when Moses was praying? And we think, yeah, God would never stop us from praying, right? Moses is like praying. God interrupts the prayer says, Moses, quit praying. Move. <laughs> do what I've already told you to do. Just move in faith. Listen, there are so many people that followed God in the Bible without a destination. It wouldn't be faith if we already knew. It would not be faith if we didn't already have the answers. Fact is, we would limit it to our belief, our thought. And this is what I hear God saying to me through Scripture and through other things, is, is God is saying, move. Trust me. I will build my church. And if you are people of faith, so I'm inviting you to join in with us to take that verse, begin praying that verse back to God. And say, God, first we need you to take possession of the land. And we'll possess it. And we'll trust you. Every time I read Acts chapter 2 of the early church, just something happens inside of me. I just, I just say, this is the way church is supposed to be done. Here's what the scripture says, starting in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and... They were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine that? Now, the most we've ever done in 24 hours is 110, and we were proud of that. And we worshiped and we celebrated. Can you imagine the day when a group of people added 3,000 people to their church? And then he goes on and he says, and then here, here's a group of people. Church, church wasn't an event. Church wasn't something that they were just spectators to. Church was a community to belong to. And then they go deeper and says, and so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Listen, a people of faith do not follow signs and wonders. That's, that's emotion. But signs and wonders should follow God's people. When people follow God, there should be signs of wonders, of lives radically changed, people taken care of, uh, uh, a community restored, a community redeemed. And he said, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to, to all as they needed. In other words, there was sacrificial giving going on. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, life groups, it, it wasn't an event. It was a community to belong to where you deepened life with one another. It was life on life. You didn't judge each other. You didn't criticize one another. You broke bread together. You opened his word together and you prayed together. 
They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then watch this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who added to their number? The apostles, the leaders, the Bible study teachers? No, the Lord did. Why? Because Jesus promised, I'm the one that builds the church. I'm the one that added. Does, does this stuff not work anymore? I mean, is, is his word still powerful in the early church as it is today? What would happen if a group of people radically believed this? They organized their life around this. In a community to notice, because people organized and orchestrated their lives different. There was a distinctive about these Christ followers that were different of people that were in the world and and this means for us, just like the children of Israel with Joshua, it says they all moved. There was unity, one heart, one mind. That means every one of us, young or old, matter. Last night we had an 80-something-year-old man so, Charlie, I just want to finish well. I don't care where you need me. You just place me, and I'm yours. Every one of us needs to view the church as a community to belong to and not an event to attend. Every one of us, between now and February the 5th, and when we cross the Jordan River, will have to find a useful place of ministry. Everyone with the leadership gift is going to have to step up and lead. Everyone with a shepherding gift is going to have to step up and shepherd. Everyone with a, with a hospitality gift is going to have to step up and start leading in guest relations. Everyone with a giving gift is going to have to start giving at new levels. We need to understand that God is building his church. This last week, I read this verse one last time, and and it rocked my world. I saw something even deeper in this verse. It's Matthew 16, 18 says this. says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The only thing that Jesus has been doing since his ascension is building his church. He's not in heaven taking naps. He's not in heaven trying to keep the angels under control. He's not in heaven worried about what's going on down here. The scripture says that his priority, what he's doing since his ascension, is building the local church. Shouldn't we be about what he's building? Shouldn't we be about what is priority to him? See, I believe the greatest privilege in all of human history is when God taps you, God taps someone on the shoulder and say, hey, Judy, hey, Charlie, hey, Tom, hey, Paul, hey, Karen. I've got a critical role for you to play in the local church. The reason I redeemed you is so that you would join in and view church not as a, an event, but a community to belong to and redeem others. People will tell us from time to time, thank you for leaving Texas and the Bible Belt to come here and plant a church. And You know what I think about? 
Thank you, Dr. John Bazzano. That when God tapped you on the shoulder, you said yes. And you poured into my life. I think about life group leaders and ministry partners that have said yes and understood and poured into my life because we're the church. We're the hands and the feet of the body of Christ. So this morning, I call you unapologetically to full devotion to Christ on this day. I call you unapologetically to understand, and we'll understand more in 2012, what it means to be a disciple of Christ, what it means to be a Christ follower. I unapologetically call you this day to forfeit your dreams for the greater dream of building his church and being a part of what he's a part of. I call you this day to unapologetically give the very best of yourselves to what he is building. That you would bring your best gifts, your best resources, your best talents, your best abilities to the one thing that Christian history is depending on us for. The local church is the hope of the world. And you know what? I know. I know people are cynical. And I know people have all types of different perspectives about that. I had to change mine. And many of you may need to change your perspective. But I understand people are cynical. What's the side screens? The local church is the hope of the world? No, as a matter of fact... God no longer dwells here. I don't believe that joy is a possibility, that our lives are better lived in community, and that we are called to love each other radically. The truth is, the church is on the brink of extinction. I refuse to believe that we are part of a story larger than our own, and we have been changed to bring change. Don't be fooled. Poverty is too overwhelming. Racism can't be overcome, and evil will never be defeated. It's impossible for me to believe things will get better. In the future, it will be evident God can't help, and you're wrong if you believe God can. I am convinced that you can't turn things around. I would be lying if I said God cares. But you should know I believe exactly the opposite. God cares. I would be lying if I said that you can't turn things around. I am convinced God can. And you're wrong if you believe God can't help. In the future, it will be evident that things will get better. It's impossible for me to believe evil will never be defeated. Racism can't be overcome. And poverty is too overwhelming. Don't be fooled. We have been changed to bring change. And we are part of a story larger than our own. I refuse to believe that the church is on the brink of extinction. The truth is that we are called to love each other radically, that our lives are better lived in community, and that joy is a possibility. I don't believe God no longer dwells here. No, as a matter of fact, the local church is the hope of the world. All right. 
We're going to end a little bit differently today. Here's what I'm going to ask. If you have been baptized here at Fellowship of the Rockies, we want to recognize you. Would you just stand right where you are right now? Would you just stand if you have been baptized here? Let's all stand with them. Let me tell you what, that's why we exist. We exist to reach people for Christ and then to develop them in mature, radical followers of Him. We're going to end a little bit differently this morning. Our uh, workers that are, are men in the booths in the underground, they're going to slip out. But let me just, let me tell you how we're going to end this morning. We need you. We desperately need you to find a place of ministry, to find a place of service. So here's what we're going to ask you, that on your way out, would you go by the underground? Every one of our ministries will be displayed over there. You can ask questions. You can find out what they do, uh, the length of service, all of that. You can get your questions answered, but we need you. This is moving day for us. We have now, between now and February the 5th, we are in a crisis for everybody to find their gift, their place of service. If you have children that are currently in the children's area, you don't need to pick your children up first. You can go directly over there, uh, talk with some folks, and then when you're done, you can go pick up your kids. So what do you think? You with us? Okay. Let's pray and you'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for today. Father, it is my prayer that each one of us understands what it means to be a follower of Christ and it will be about building what you're building. And Lord, we cannot wait to see the day when you take possession of the land that you have for us and we possess it. But Father, until then, we're going to radically trust you and walk by faith. Father, we look forward to see what you're going to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.